2: See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: Film study with Ken McCusick. We're into 2018 and we've already done a few episodes. Ken, it's always fun when we get to do a special Super Bowl weekend one. Sure right? Is, Especially when Absolutely. it's because your team's not in the Super Bowl and your team's a yeah, mess. <laughs> So, uh, as many people know, Steve Bisciotti, as we're recording this on Friday evening, Steve Bashotti chose one thirty p.m. on a Friday, on Super Bowl weekend, to do a kind of state of the Ravens for this year. Could That's he? Right. Could is there any other way he could have hid this more, that, rather than just not doing it?
3: I'm I'm not sure by by doing it and the Ravens are one of the only teams that does one. They mentioned Dallas and I think there might be one other team now, but the Ravens were the first to start okay. the state of the Ravens. And they really are very uh upfront and it's it's uh emblematic or uh, uh symbolic maybe whatever the word is of of Bishotti's business style I think that that he addresses these problems head on and and uh you know things are out in the open in general about what he's thinking and about uh what the state of the team is i really appreciate that about him as an owner and i'll say this i hate reporting on what other people say okay i just i can't stand that it's already you're in the second person right. and you know third person whatever um i like first principles analysis of what's actually going on the field but in this particular case i was really interested to hear what steve said i wanted to go through it in some detail with you and uh, and see if we can make heads or tails of it
0: yeah and yes I've made it clear before, I love Steve Bishotti. I think he's one of the most well-thought-out persons, whether I've I've talked to him in the past about Oriole issues or uh, a little bit of Ravens talk or a little uh, behind the scenes he gave me when he got rid of Billick many years ago. I think he's very thoughtful in all words that he says and the way he speaks. So I always look forward to the State of the Ravens conference to see how he words things. And the fact that this year... Did not have John Harbaugh and Ozzie Newsome with them, and um, I think Dick Cass is normally with them as well. That's right. But I was perfectly fine with it just being Steve
3: Bisciotti. He's definitely the most important one. Uh, Dick Cass has one question per year, typically of Are you going to raise ticket prices? Bisciotti handled that one pretty quickly. There will be no ticket raising or lowering this year. All right, suggested.
0: Did uh, did before? I mean, clearly we got to get into Dean uh, not Dean Pease, but just the whole uh, Ozzie Newsom stepping down. I was, mm-hmm. I was thinking ahead with Dean Pease. We will talk about the Dean Pease issue because that surprised us this week. But uh, we got to talk about Ozzie Newsom stepping back. But first off, did Steve say uh, why the press conference was so late?
3: Yeah, he he did. He said he needed the time. So I think he wanted to reflect on it. Um, I know he, he knew these, this would be a difficult set of questions he would get given the controversy that's occurred this year. thought he was very statesmanlike in that. We can get to some of that later, but, uh, but yeah, I think he needed the time was how he said it. He wanted to uh, do it after the, the, some of the college uh, All-Star Bowl stuff has gone on and uh, let a little time pass after the season okay i can I can
0: respect that this seems like this was a different type of season than the Ravens have had in a long time, and I guess the first really uh rough season as Steve
3: Bashati as the majority owner well he had some rough seasons early on. they actually had okay. a question about that later that he answered pretty well but uh uh this was this has been a tough five year period with only one playoff appearance obviously. But the Ozzy step down is not really a surprise to the organization, although it may have been a surprise to the fans. But in after the 2013 season, and Steve B said all this today, Ozzy signed a five-year contract that would go through 2018, and they already had an understanding that he would step down for Eric DaCosta at that time. And all that was announced today was that, yes, that's going to happen. Ozzy right. is going to be around in 2018. And my understanding is that Ozzy will handle. Uh, sorry, that uh, Eric DaCosta will handle the 2019 draft. He may even be doing it with an over-the-shoulder arm from Ozzy this year. Uh, not that his draft influence isn't very high, but uh, uh, in 2019, anyway, my understanding is that's the that's the first true Eric DaCosta draft and uh, he'll be taking over as GM at that point. Right.
0: Now, the Ravens really like Eric DaCosta. Isn't that what this really comes down to, is they don't want to lose him to another team? Isn't that why they said five years ago that he's their parent?
3: Right. they paid him more money, as I understand it, during the time to be the, the general manager in waiting, and every year they've gotten inquiries from other teams saying, can you let us talk to Eric DaCosta? And I think they've allowed some of those, and maybe they've not allowed others. We wouldn't hear about necessarily right. everyone. But what, what Steve mentioned this year was the Packers came nosing around. And, I mean, the Green Bay Packers, to have that job offered to you, you know, Eric DaCosta has a terrific reputation across the NFL. Sure. And that was a job he mentioned for some other reasons that didn't seem necessarily completely genuine. But they don't even have an owner, uh, the Packers. So right. it's, a, it's a nice general manager position to have is what he what he pointed out. uh uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I think that's, if you're going to be GM, that sounds like a good place to go. But um, it makes sense. I, do you, Do we as the Ravens fans, as Ravens media, know enough about Eric DaCosta to know if he's what we need for this future? Is he the next Ozzie Newsom?
3: You know, that's, that's a really good question because I think Ozzy did so many things so well that we don't always completely understand what it what it was. And one story I remember from 2000, this 2009 State of the Ravens. So this was a, an event we went to at the Castle, and this was back in the day when it was only a corporate event for sweetholders. So it was after the 2008 season. Harbaugh was there, and they had several people up on stage, but Kevin Byrne was the one pitching the softball's up for some of the initial questions, and then they went to the to the audience. And, and one of the things that Byrne said was kind of a little bit strange that he would go forward from this, is that Harbaugh came into Newsom's office really upset and about some particular player and said, you know, hey, look what he did. We can't allow this to happen. And, and Newsom listened to Harbaugh go on it for, you know, a minute or so and then said, hey, John, you know, we're paying this guy a lot of money to be here and play such and such position for us. And... You know, he kind of calmed down John in that respect. So it's not necessarily the draft where I think we will necessarily miss Newsom. I think DeCosta really brought a lot of value all these years to the draft, and and he'll be he'll be valuable there. Um, it's it's in other ways where Newsom is an enormous calming influence on the organization. He's a a final word on the organization in a lot of ways. I I, I, I hope the gravitas of what uh, Eric DaCosta wants. Has the same, uh, you know, there's the same gravitas to, to where there was for Newsom, um, just from the little things. I mean, at practice, uh, Newsom was the only one allowed to sit at practice. John Harbaugh otherwise demands that everybody else has to stand. Right. So it's just little things like that. But there's, there's no doubt about it. Ozzie's hand on this organization, his his thumbprints are all over uh, everything that's been done, and it will be hard for Eric DeCoster to pick up every one of those items and make it his own.
0: All right. Um, so next, that's next year, and when we go to DaCosta, that's definitely going with a younger uh, GM. There was talk about the senior scouting and how the, the scouting department's gotten younger?
3: Yeah, they've gotten poached by some other teams in terms of having their some of their senior scouts taken away. Joe Douglas is one of the ones mentioned. And uh, that they tried to promote from within and hire 25-year-olds to replace guys who had 10 more years experience than that, and I, I I understand why it would be the preferred mode to develop scouts internally, but sometimes you just can't afford that kind of a loss, and he thinks that had set the Ravens back some, and that they were going to spend some money, is the impression I got coming out of this conference, to uh, get some more senior scouts. And that's outside the cap, of course. So that's right. where you want a good owner like Bashadi to step in and say, yeah, we're going to spend money on football operations. And that's outside the cap. That just comes out of our own pocket. That, that's exciting because at
0: that point, that's where you're leaning. You're, when you're bringing in senior guys, you're going back to that eye test and seeing what the scouts say. I feel like whenever you're bringing in the younger guys, they're relying a whole
3: lot on analytics. Oh boy, you're not gonna have a big argument about that because I want them to rely on analytics, but I also want them to know how to make the best use of their time, how right. how to filter through the players more quickly. Maybe the uh, you know one thing was mentioned was that there was an over analysis of the first 60 selections in the draft, and what they made, what the, the point Bishotti made is that they always get among their first 60 are their first three picks, which are 96 picks in the draft. So does that make sense? Right. So so the, it's always from the top 60 on their board that they'll pick that. And they had asked for so many second and third opinions on all those guys that they thought they'd overanalyzed there, which is kind of funny because it's the second and third round where the Ravens have had difficulty, and it's the later rounds where they've had you know tremendous success. And so it's a, it's a, it's a little bit strange that... that We'd be talking about over-analysis of the first uh, uh, first three rounds, but but be made that point.
0: It's easy to over-analyze those those first 60 because everyone's talking about them. If if you're watching ESPN or the NFL Network, when you're not working, they're talking about these guys. So naturally, you just start to say, well, maybe these guys are really good. The rest of the world seems to think so.
3: Yeah, you know, that's that's definitely true. And what has separated the Ravens, and I've I've seen this argument on Twitter, is that we need to take more chances with guys who, had, who have demonstrated character flaws and try and fix them at the NFL level. Vontez Burfecht a few years ago would have, been a, would have been a guy that they would have had to take a chance on, but he went undrafted, as it turned out. Uh, Ravens could have had him for a seventh-round pick if they wanted, but, uh, but the, the character flaws were, were uh, significant enough that nobody felt like they could touch him. Um, what, the point that I would make along those lines is the Ravens do take a lot more chances with small school products projecting their play to the NFL level. So they've been enormously successful at getting players like Brandon Williams and Judan and Lardarius Webb uh, drafted who are you know outstanding talents that they pick up at a value price in a, in a, you know with a, a third through sixth round selection we'll say um, instead of having to, uh, to, to go for a one or two on these guys. So I, I think they do take chances. I think they take really good chances that the fans don't always pick up on necessarily, and uh, another thing that that uh, Steve B said about the draft was you, you need to look at the whole thing basically. And if if all you had was the list of players they drafted in 2013, it wouldn't be that terrible because it includes Brandon Williams and Ricky Wagner, and I'm forgetting somebody from 2013, Kyle Usech. But it does it. It also included. Uh, Arthur Brown and uh, Matt Elam at the top of the draft. So you think the draft is a bust, but it's really not that much of a bust because they got three starters out of it. And, and he's right about that. You need to look at the draft in total, not just particular rounds for failure. Yes, but, but yes, it's way
0: easier to look at these early rounds and say, well, just imagine if they hit on the early rounds like they did on the late rounds. Um, Steve, so one thing that critics were talking about in the past few weeks is that the Ravens weren't doing this state of the Ravens because they didn't want to address the tough topics like why fans aren't coming to football games anymore. Uh, and it seems like Steve did a good job handling this, this question.
3: I thought he was statesmanlike in terms of how he did it. He, he, it. Obviously he had time to think about what the correct answer is for each of these questions. Right. And he already watched Dick Cass fail at it. Yes, the letter so, was a failure. The letter was a failure. So I think that, that Bishotti did an outstanding job of working through that. And so basically, just to report on kind of what he said, he he blamed the unfilled seats on failing to win as being the heart of it, is that, that that's going to fix a lot of what's wrong. And if that's the only thing that's wrong, well, it's on them. They'll fix it. Yeah, you know? that,
0: right. That's the biggest impact maker.
3: We the can biggest, blame
0: other things. Winning brings people in the seats.
3: That That's right. And and he was asked then about the kneeling as well, and, and what he said was he learned about that very late, um, that it was something that he had a one-minute conversation with two players. One of them was Terrell Suggs, and I, I want to say it might have been Wallace, but I may have the wrong player there, okay. about what what was going to happen before that game in London. And he, he said he would have urged them to try and find another alternative if there had been more more time. But he defended his players for the right to protest and also said that he understood why a portion of the fan base was, was very upset about it. And that's really what he needs to do. In that, in that situation, you have two sides of this that will never really see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no way you can take um, you know, the peaceful protest on the sideline that occurred and people who have watched their brethren come home with the American flag draped over their coffin and get those two to, to meet in the middle um, uh, why can't we find a solution that's kind of halfway there really isn't any any gray yes in that situation so so it's it's not a group that you can It's not two groups that you can get together and say okay we can do this instead and, and then we'll make both of us happy it's each really has to have its own say in it and i think over the course of the last few months this dialogue has has been probably healthy for the country and they, it's just something that needed to happen so you know he handled it well in terms of saying that that, uh, uh, that this is going on, and that's, uh, you know, from my way of looking at it, as well as you can do in his very compromised position. Yeah, totally. And yes, that
0: affected some people coming to the games, but like he kept focusing on the winning it would change that because then those seats would still be filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you win, people will buy the tickets off StubHub. They'll come to the games, even if the original seat owners don't want to come. There you go. All right. Um, he mentioned no ticket reductions, but he did. He also said, "Hey, we're trying to make the experience
3: of coming to the Ravens game better." Right. So they they put out several letters on this and talked about it. And this is actually in the Dick Cass letter was an elevator an escalator being put into the upper deck. And and escalators are something that the teams have been um, reticent to to put in because it does represent some significant additional liability. Right. Uh, the, the, the Orioles actually had someone die at the stadium on the escalators. It might have been in the 60s or the 70s. I'm not sure which. But, but it, you know, it, it was obviously a problem. And they, if you went to the old Memorial Stadium, you remember how closely guard, guarded those escalators were well, top they, and bottom. They, they still permit.
0: do. They still yeah. do. And they've, they've had issues. I remember about 20 years ago they had an issue with an escalator at Camden Yards. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And the Ravens were one of the first teams to jump out there and say, hey, we're filling the stadium with Wi-Fi. We're going to make sure you can see all of your uh, fantasy football stuff while you're here. So they're conscious
3: about that. Yeah, I think they do a good job with that. The, you know, They were ahead of the, of the uh, curve in terms of putting the boards are just the state of the Ravens. They're, ahead, they're way ahead of the curve in terms of getting an owner out there in front of his own fans explaining, hey, where are we headed directionally? So right. I'm 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 very happy with the with the organizational direction. The only only issue I've really got with this is is uh, uh, you know some of the other things, some of the other choices about the coaching and and how they plan to go forward with the product on the field.
0: Well, let's get into the coaching because the coaching is one spot where Boshadi kind of surprised me uh, in reference to John Harbaugh, where he said it wouldn't. It basically, said it wouldn't be fair of him to say, "Hey, next year we make the playoffs or you're out." When we that's, all kind of feel like that's where he's at. Because he also said Harbaugh has never been under this much pressure in his
3: life. That's right. He he did say that. He he opened by very candidly admitting that he considered a change, but was not inclined to do so. And I, that's wording that is, if I'm going to make an analogy, it's like uh, after further review, the call stands. Oh, totally. It was. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was. I was ready
0: to fire him. I calmed down a little bit and did not. <laughs> and
3: I didn't do it. It's so fun for the review. I d- you're not right. fired. I took <laughs> a moment
0: to think about what my <laughs> options would be and kept him.
3: That's right. That's right. So anyway, he, he he made the point that somebody asked him about, is this the last year? And he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll be here next year. Or words to that effect. I'm not going to get it exactly right. Um, but that this was not a playoff or bust edict for Harbaugh, because if he did that, he might as well fire him right now. And, and I, that's not that they won't make the playoffs it's that you know if, if there's that much pressure on right. him it's just it's it's a lot less likely to uh uh it's not maybe not less likely to to succeed but it just boxes you into a corner in yeah. terms of what you can do
0: and i think it's trust it's trust of saying all right harbaugh i'm still trusting you versus playoff or bust
3: says right. prove me wrong you know you're right you're, you're absolutely right on that that's a big difference so I right, um
0: Clearly, this is when we get to Dean Pease, and, and the Dean Pease, The fact that Dean Pease didn't retire came up. It was,
3: it was a little odd situation. Uh, Three-week three retirement? Yeah, I, I think I understand what happened. Is, is Dean really wanted to get his son started in coaching. And by the way, this is not unusual. Buddy Ryan started both his sons in coaching, and right. it was a totally nepotistic situation, I think in Philadelphia originally, when, when both of them were working for him. It might, might have been later. It might have been in Arizona. It might have been one of the other places. But, sure. But in yeah. any case... We saw it with Shanahan yeah, we've well. seen Yeah, we've seen it with others. Um, but the Ravens have an anti-nepotism rule in place. So they weren't allowing people to hire their son. So Pease could not have worked with his son here. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, That probably was the biggest factor in him going to Tennessee. I don't think he'll stay long there. You know, he might be there two years. He might be there three years. But I think the plan will be for his son to take over his role from him in some period of time. And, you know, that's what a lot of fathers do when they retire. They help their their kids' business. Right. No, Um, and it it does speak to Dean Pease
0: when he retired saying he wants to spend more time with his family. So without saying (laughs) the Ravens won't hire my son, so I'm out of here. He did it nice and uh, uh, had the nice political answer, which also took some of the pressure off of John Harbaugh after a poor year.
3: There you go. I mean, I don't think Dean Pease really had that poor year as a year as a defensive coordinator of the Ravens, but and I wouldn't have been really upset if they kept him for another year, unlike a lot of people around here. But uh, but yes, I, I do understand what you're saying, and I think that uh, uh, you know change, to a certain degree, change is probably good anyway because the players remember a lot about what the previous coach was about, and the new coach brings something new that you can layer on in terms of, of scheme and whatnot. He generally cannot reverse all of the good habits that players have. Right. Um, so. Were you surprised that he didn't
0: get like a deep question about uh, Dean P's replacement about the whole hiring process from
3: within? Oh, I was actually surprised about that. If I was there, I would have asked it. I, because this was a big thing that he had done when Harbaugh was hired, was he put out for all the season ticket holders exactly how that process worked. But because this hiring was one level lower, and it kind of came out clearly on this answer on Morningweg, it, uh he really wanted to leave that to Harbaugh to make that decision, not impose his own protocol for the hiring of a defensive coordinator. To me, it, it's one of the most high-profile defensive coordinator positions or coordinator positions, period, in all of football. The Ravens could have had the choice of anybody at all, and they took an inside candidate who has already failed once as a defensive coordinator with the Broncos. Um, you know, I don't know very much about him specifically. He's supposed to be more aggressive than Dean in terms of the rush, so that'll be exciting, but I don't know enough to know that he'd be better than every other candidate out there. And I kind of would be surprised if that were the case because he'd been hired already. Right. Right.
0: All right. And then, yeah. So as you were saying, they, he definitely put the Marty rehiring on John Harbaugh and Joe Flacco.
3: John wanted Marty and, and he backed John. Right.
0: Um, All right, they talked a little bit about the draft and uh, with saying there's a really good chance we will not take a defensive tackle in the first round. So that is is when he really got into the fact that the offense needs help.
3: Yeah, the offense needs help. And and he he mentioned it a couple different ways. The first is he he wanted to be real careful with his words, by the way, to not tamper. So he's got a particular free agent in mind that he wants, but he can't tamper yet. And he said that they'll explore explore all avenues to find playmakers. And he didn't use the word playmakers, but to find help on offense, whether that's free agency or the draft. So he may be thinking about Jarvis Landry. He may be thinking about somebody else. Um, He did say that the Ravens could do some cap restructuring in order to generate. uh, I'm sorry, contract restructuring in order to generate some more cap to spend. And one of the players he mentioned was Brandon Williams. He said, you want to do it for players you're sure are going to be around like Brandon Williams. Just, so it yeah. could, be that, could be that they restructure him. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think they'll do another restructure of Flacco. It's one of the ones that would generate a lot of money, but I don't think they will. Right. I, um, right. And uh, anyway, they've, they'll have to kind of decide where they're going to allow that to occur.
0: Did you see this the way I saw it? Did he throw Brashard Perriman under the bus and said he he completely fell apart from what we had expected
3: him to be? Yeah, he he did. Um, So he said, coming into this year, we had Wallace coming off a 1,000-yard season, we had the acquisition of Macklin, and we had Perriman, your number three receiver, getting 33 catches for 500 yards. Well, I think actually Perriman might have been the number two receiver in Baltimore, but whatever the case, I'm not going to – Trying to remember now when when Steve Smith left. I guess Steve Smith Steve was Smith still, around, was last still year. around.
0: It was Steve Smith, Mike Wallace, short Perriman last year. So okay. Perriman so was
3: the number three. Perriman was the number three. Had thirty three catches for five hundred yards, and he said that's the standard across the NFL. And he's right about five hundred yards for your number three receiver is a is a good solid uh, offense. You get a thousand out of number one, you get eight hundred out of number two, but it, it's. Um, perriman regressed so badly macklin was completely unengaged i mean macklin will not be back i i, I just i cannot see any way that, that he's back after the season he just had and wallace had a had a disappointing year as well right. and is now a, you know a year older and if they do bring him back he's going to be on the margin of the wide receiving group he's already expressed that he'd like to be back i think that's a matter of he knows there's really not that much interest around the nfl for him at this right. point
0: yeah um when we, yes, and it, I was excited when to hear him when he got into the no-tampering part that you mentioned because that means mm-hmm. right, Basciotti wants to bring in a, a guy who we know, a name player that he's got his eye on a specific wide receiver that, that he wants to throw some money at. So I hope you,
3: that's the case. Yeah, there you go. And so there's only, there aren't even that many choices because Jarvis Landry is the, is the really big name that the Ravens might get, but there are, there are not a whole lot of options in the, in the free agency gotcha. wide receiver. All right,
0: um, uh, well, let's see, we talked about the draft and the, the new scouts and how they want to uh, not overanalyze the top players, but then he, got, he was very defensive about the Williams and the Bowser picks. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So
3: the, the point he made was that we had a lousy pass rush in 2016, and it, and it might have cost us a playoff spot. So in 2017, we drafted a couple guys also with the understanding that Suggs might be gone. Well, Suggs all of a sudden stands up and has 11 sacks or 11 and a half sacks, whatever it was, and looks like he's 28 again and not 36 or 35, whatever he is. So anyway, he said Williams and Bowser, obviously they had, the, they had a reduced snap count, and Williams, in fact, was not active for a number of games. Uh, but they would have played more had there been any injuries. And he, he mentioned they got every snap out of Judon and Zadarius Smith as well. That's not really true. Zadarius missed a little bit of time, but it's it's generally true that those players were healthy for most of the season. And you know it's just a very deep and talented position. And if if you think it's bad being Williamson Bowser, try being Camelot Correa in this thing and thinking you should be playing an outside linebacker. But there's just no way. Right. No.
0: Okay. Um. I'm trying to think of some other general items about this press conference. And one thing is the, the stupid questions that sometimes that the reporters would ask. I wish that uh, the reporters would give their names every time they ask the question, because I would love to know who's asking some of these questions. What did you think yeah. of how the reporters handled it in the
3: questions? I mean, I thought there's just some horrible, touchy-feely questions. And if you've ever been to camp and listened to the questions on a particular day, there's, there's a there's a process going on. reporters are trying to trigger a question with some sort of information generally about a particular player that they're writing a story on and they'll ask something completely inane with the hope that the coach will then just talk over take over and talk generally about that player right so so I understand yeah. how that process they want yeah they want to get their sound bites. They, they want to get their sound bites that they can use for, for, the, for their particular story target. So anyway, in this in this uh, case, Preston was, was really picked on by Bishotti as asking a, asking a question about the offense, and he said, you know, second half of the year, uh, Joe played well, and the, the offense was the second highest scoring in football, and, and Preston goes, but they were all bad teams. And he goes, oh, really? They're bad teams? I didn't know they were bad teams. And you know it's one of these things. It was just it was a dumb comment. It shouldn't have been made off to the side. But but it was it, it was what it was. And Pichoti kind of right. kind of picked on the heckler. Yeah, you got to play who's on your schedule. You got you got to play who's on the schedule. And they they played him and they played him well as they as they came down. But he made the point they didn't play well in the middle of the year. And uh, and and that was also uh, legitimate. He um, he got hit with other questions like was it the most stressful time that they that he's ever had as the Owner. Not a terrible question, but also not a great question, because all he's really trying to get at is how bad have the drafts been in two thousand thirteen to two thousand seventeen and, and you know what does that make you feel like? And it just you know, people don't really have that much interest in hearing it. The only guy who really wants to hear the answer to that question is the reporter who right. then wants to turn it into a story. But yes. Bishadi actually came up with a good answer to this. He said it was much more much more stressful between two thousand two and two thousand seven because the Ravens did not have a franchise quarterback at that time. They tried with Bowler, they failed. They tried with McNair, that didn't work out either. But during that period, they they did not have a franchise quarterback, and that was just a lot more stressful. And I think back over those years, you know, they recovered from a cap purge uh, with a good 0-2 season that was far better than anybody could hope for. They were 7-9, and nine, but, you know, it was a lot of young talent gelling very quickly into a, into a reasonably decent team that, that, that was a great defense in 2003. Um, and they lost all kinds of people on defense that, uh, that year, of course. And, and they still didn't have a quarterback, and they, you know, they were working with Chris Redman through this. Right. In 2007, two on the other end of that, they had the secondary of dying men, as I call it. I never want to repeat that year. They, just, they lost everybody in the secondary to injury. And uh, you know, Willie Gaston, who was a street free agent pickup in December, you're never going to get anybody good then, as a street free agent, pick, yeah. came in and started a game. I mean, it's just you had guys who had no business being on an NFL field, basically uh, suiting up. And I could see how that was more stressful. And they they made the playoffs once each with McNair and Bowler. He made that point, and uh, you know they they had good teams then, but but it was a lot more stressful in that period. They did not win a single playoff game during that time. So uh, even these last five years as frustrating as they've been after how good the first five years of the Harbaugh era were have still been not bad at all to play approximately 500 ball uh over that period right and that's where you got to
0: always remind people that so many teams would trade these five bad years for that one super bowl win oh yeah no kidding um concussions how did he handle the Concussions and is that affecting fan attendance? Are people afraid of football?
3: Yeah, I, I think what he said is people aren't not coming to the game because of how hard the hitting is. People aren't giving up on their tickets because of that. They they might use that as an ancillary excuse if they don't like the cold weather and they're not right. showing, and maybe they're trying to lever that into something more from the organization, which isn't coming. It's just it's just a it's a it's a bullcrap second tier excuse. Yeah. For what you do It's kind of like, like if, if you come up There's two things that bother me When people give a list of arguments One is If the arguments are not Approximately equal in value So don't give me An, an A and A and a, an a And then a, a D argument To something Okay It's just Don't, don't even include it on the list if Right you're going to do that And, and, and the other uh, I've lost my spot here Well yeah We've talked yeah. about this On section
0: 336 How there's about 10 items I could rattle off For why people aren't Going to football games but if you knock nine of those off the list, and there's just one, and you can pick any of them, one item is not enough Weird. to keep people keep people away. But if you add them all up, they slowly add up to "I'm just
3: going to stay home today." That that's true. That's true. And the, the other the other one I did remember what it is. It's when you got when you have a bad argument for why people are not attending games. Right, they'll come down. They'll go through eight items, and they'll finally get to number seven, and number seven will actually be the good reason. So they've ordered them in a bad way as to what are the meaningful reasons. But number seven is the team isn't winning. Right. And, you know, of course that's, that's the reason. Yes,
0: that's the big one. So. Um, yeah, it's like following a BuzzFeed article, clicking through. Yeah. Um, all right, he made it clear that his passion is still there, and that he still likes owning the football team, that he's not planning to sell the team. So you buy all that from Steve?
3: Yeah, I did. I, I you know, he, he, he got himself together to do this, which is great. And he, he looked... Uh, comfortable and in control in in the meeting he he clearly cares about this football team and he talked about the meetings in Jupiter Florida at his home and and how they're going to address things next year you know he has plans to fix various things which you know one of the signs that an owner is about done is they they lapse into a um, apathetic state where they're where they're either because of their own habits, like in Ursay's case, when he's just drinking himself to death, or, or you know with other owners like Eli Jacobs when he's with the Orioles, or, or even Angelo, some people would say today, they, they, they're just not showing any outward signs of engagement with the problems of the organization. Steve is fully engaged in the problems this organization has. He considers himself accountable for them, and he's willing to discuss them directly. And that's what I really appreciated about this press conference more than anything. Yeah, I agree. We um, take
0: for granted that we have a football owner like Steve Bishotti, and I, he always does a great job on these press conferences. I always walk away from them asking, wishing the one more question that would be asked is, will you buy the Orioles?
3: Yes. Yeah, well, that would be great. And it, One of the other things that had been suggested is that is that Plank someday would be buying the Ravens, you know, the under-hour guy. Okay, I could see but, that. I I could see it too, and then I, I I realized how much I root for Under Armour now because because I, I was reading the Wall Street Journal today and apparently there was a question about Under Armour's relevance in today's <laughs> market. I'm like, oh no, this is terrible. I don't know. I, <laughs>
0: you know, I wonder if there if that would be some type of conflict uh, to for if Plank would have to get rid of sell Under Armour in order to buy the Ravens to um, not be not have, have a owner that then provides jerseys for so many other teams
3: yeah that'd be an interesting I mean, I be an interesting question now I don't have, of course have a problem Right, he wants to sell his sell his uh, uh, what I would call his side business under armor <laughs> right no, exactly <laughs> and not um, deal with the
0: Ravens right anything else that I'm missing from the Steve Busciotti State of the Ravens Press conference.
3: I think that pretty well covers it. And uh, and like I say, we're we're reporting on what other people are saying, and that's not my favorite thing. But this was this is a well done conference, and and we should be happy to have Steve. Yes, yes,
0: of course. All right, Ken. Well, uh, this was fun to do a little special film study. Have a great weekend. Enjoy watching the Eagles and Patriots play this weekend. Yep. And uh, we'll talk next time the Ravens come out with some news maybe when they sign this uh this guy that we can't talk about
3: (laughs) we'll do some analysis we'll have a show on that i appreciate josh
0: till then people should go on over to russell street report see what's going on there during the off season as that site preps for uh as more than ken writes as there's preparation there leading into the draft and they can follow me over on uh, Section 336 and get start getting excited for the Orioles season. Spring training in less than two weeks. Looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you later.
2: Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy, nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.
1: The Aaron's AA team makes getting the name brand furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. We're talking top brands like HP, Samsung, GE, Beautyrest, and so many more. Take them home today, then make low monthly payments until they're yours for good. Aaron's great rent to own deals even come with easy approvals and free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent to own power of the AA team. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist.